Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we remember Ed Abbey, author of The Monkey Wrench Gang, Desert Solitaire, many other works. We consider his legacy. What is Abbey's relevance today? What's the status of the environmental movement today? We'll talk about Abbey's political philosophies rooted in traditions of anarchism and civil disobedience, the rise of Earth First, and other groups out of Abbey's writings, and monkey wrenching today, including Abbey's influence on activists like Tim DeChristopher. There's a screening of M.L. Lincoln's new film about Abbey uh, and his legacy. It's called Wrenched, and that's happening in Salt Lake City on March 6th, uh, which is tomorrow. And there's an Abbey retrospective happening in Moab on March 14th and 15th. That will also include the uh, film Wrenched. Our guests today include Bob Litman, retired environmental lawyer, activist, and educator. Louise Bolton, managing curator of rare books in the special collections at the Marriott Library at the University of Utah. Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books in Salt Lake City and filmmaker M.L. Lincoln. We welcome now uh, filmmaker M.L. Lincoln. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, taking the time. You're, are you based in Moab? Uh, Moab and northern Arizona, yeah. Okay. We'll get into talking a little bit about the film. Uh, Louise Poulton, uh, you are Managing Curator of Rare Books Division at Marriott Library, University of Utah. And I uh, understand that using the rare book collections, you teach classes to university students and community groups. And you have curated exhibitions on Ed Abbey, including Brave Cowboy and, and Edward Abbey Retrospective. That was in uh, 2012. So welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to be with us. Um, and we're uh, gathering the guests uh, here as, as we speak. Uh, let's start uh, with you, uh, M.L. Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know a little bit about the film. We're going to hear, hear the trailer uh, to the film. By the way, we welcome in uh, Ken Sanders, who, of course, uh, our listeners will know from Ken Sanders' rare books in Salt Lake City. I believe former president of the Antiquarian Booksellers Association, Ken? Security chair. Security chair. Security chair. And you had very interesting experience there tracking down a famous uh, book thief. We, we talked yeah, uh, on this program about that's that. A whole, that's a whole different story. That's a whole different story, yes. <laughs> uh, author, I, I believe, uh, are you working on a book about uh, Ed Abbey? Oh, yeah, I did one 25 years ago, but okay. I never finished anything. Okay, all right. I'm unlike him now. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk a bit about that uh, as well. Uh, M.L. Lincoln, what was the impetus uh, for it? What were we trying to accomplish with, with this movie? It's, it's just out, wrenched. No, oh, it's a big question. Um, <clears throat> for people to see the early echo activists and to understand uh, Ed Abbey's influence on those people who were his friends and his books, and to really, because I live in the West and seeing the destruction of the West, really wanted to hear from people about their passion. And so I wanted to bring this together so people could see it in one place, all these people and what they felt and what they have to say. And uh, to me, a very moving um, look at, at, at their lives and their activism and at Abbey. So you're, you're looking at, the, in large part, the legacy the continuation of, of these ideas. Yeah, the legacy. And then also an important thing to me was that this is a community. It is a community, as we say, community of spirit. And that that is a really important thing, and that we have to be more community about all of this, that we aren't out here alone doing and feeling our activism. And you make a connection, at least in the publicity materials for the movie, 
to uh, works like Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. Mm-hmm. You believe that um, that Ed Abbey has had a had a similar impact. Oh, very much so. Silent Spring, you know, started it all back way back when, and Ed Abbey certainly has had in, an influence. And Ken Sanders can talk to that about the book sales that have been um, happening surrounding Ed's books, and that the young people are actually, you know, really reading his work and and getting involved in, in his ideas. I do want to pose that to Ken Sanders. First of all, I want to uh, welcome in Bob Lippman, who's a retired environmental lawyer, activist, educator, a uh, former professor of environmental law at Northern Arizona University. Now you say living and recovering in Castle Valley. <laughs> welcome to the program, Bob. Thank you. Uh, well, and and you're, uh, I guess you're involved in organizing these events that are coming up in, in Moab. Tell us, tell us what's going to be happening. Well, the uh, 25th anniversary of Edward Abbey's journey home uh, happens to coincide synchronistically with uh, ML's uh, completion of the film Wrenched. So it was very appropriate to uh, have a screening here in Moab as well as Salt Lake. Um, and, you know, our intention is to basically keep the message alive for a number of reasons because um, of the... Uh, the sense of uh, cynicism and despair that's rampant today about getting anything done, and also about the specific threats to Abby's own back of beyond country here in southern Utah that are uh, part of a, a, an oil and gas fossil fuels frenzy at this time that uh, threatened to create a stranglehold around our uh, iconic landscapes and national parks. All the places that Abby wrote about um, are under siege right now. Uh, Ken Sanders, ML, or, or uh, yes, I think it was Emma Lincoln, uh, just said that uh, she, she's seen an uh, uptick in uh, sales of Ed Abby's books to the young. What, what do you think the impetus is? Can you confirm that, and what do you think the impetus is? Well, the books have never quit selling. I mean, when Desert Solitaire was quietly written in the 50s and 60s, published in 68, uh, it was a very quiet book, a lone voice crying in the wilderness, building on what Robert Marshall and Aldo Leopold and Rachel Carson and Wallace Stegner and others had done before him, but in a unique way that no one else has ever captured. The books initially neither Desert Solitaire or Monkey Ranch Gang even sold out their 5,000-copy first printings. They were remaindered in the first editions. But now, even in Ed's lifetime, both those two books had become what he always dreaded, classics. He never wanted any book he wrote to become a classic because Ed Abbey thought that the, the very definition of the word classic meant a book everyone talked about and gave accolades to but never read. Well, Ed, you've got it both ways. Those two books of yours, of your 21 works, have become classics, but they're still alive. They're still being read. Both of those titles have sold in millions of copies now, and they're selling better now to a generation of high school and college students that weren't yet born on the planet when Ed Abbey died 25 years ago. Bob Lipman, you mentioned a, a sense of frustration, at least. Um, and I've heard quotes from Tim DeChristopher uh, saying that he, you know, Monkey Wrench Gang, he, he, he viewed that beyond literature, he viewed that as a manual. 
Edward Abbey called his own works uh, his antidote to despair. And uh, it was a direct response, uh, and I believe Tim de Christopher's uh, action was a direct response to the unwillingness of governments and the ineffectiveness of environmental law to protect and preserve wilderness, watersheds, environmental and public health, and uh, addressing the corruption and captivity of the legal processes and protections today by corporate money and influence. Well, so, I call Tim de Christopher's case a, uh, um, a fulfillment of uh, Abby's intentions in terms of uh, his final book, Hey Duke Lives, wherein he intended to have a, a mass trial of the Monkey Ranch gang. And the uh, trial would turn around and essentially put the government on trial, and um, the defendants would not only be exonerated, but the government and its corporate masters would be held in contempt of court and charged with treason. And this would be a triumph of the political process, a triumph of patriotism, and uh, a resurgence of uh, uh, government of the people and by the people. I want to, uh, before we go to the trailer for Wrenched, I want to bring in Louise Poulton from uh, Rare Books at uh, Merritt Library. What what reaction do you get as you you take um, Ed Abbey out, so to speak, in, in uh, presentations? Uh, are people focused on, they probably are, Monkey Wrench Gang, Desert Solitaire. There's much else, of course, in, in the works of, of Ed Abbey. What, what are you uh, getting in terms of feedback? Um. I, I can talk specifically about the feedback I got for uh, the exhibition that I did in 2012, um, the retrospective, um, in which I laid out in cases um, almost all and every edition of each title that Abby, uh, that was of Abby's that was published. Um, that the draw for that exhibition was far more than I had hopes for. And the, the crowds were um, a, a really interesting combination of um, people of Abby's generation or just after, and as other people have said, um, quite young people. Um, there was a, a very emotional reaction by, I think, the, the older group just to see the, the physical objects, the, the covers of these books that had been so beloved in their, in their day. Um, and from younger people, uh, a, an excitement that this was, this was the, the Abby's works were the backing for something that um, they were not going to let die. We are talking about Ed Abbey, obviously, on the program today. Remembering Ed Abbey, there's some activity in that area. A new film, M.L. Lincoln's film, Wrenched, uh, is playing in, uh, will be playing Salt Lake City uh, on March 6th, uh, tomorrow evening. M.L. Lincoln, is that the Utah Film Center? Yes, they are a fiscal sponsor, and they're showing it tomorrow night at 7. <clears throat> okay. 
Uh, and then there are some events in Moab, March 14th and 15th, including another showing of Wrenched and, and some other activities. Our guests include Bob Lipman, who is a retired environmental lawyer, activist, and educator. Louise Bolton, who's with the Rare Books at uh, Marriott Library, University of Utah. Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books in Salt Lake City. And filmmaker M.L. Lincoln. You're welcome to join this conversation at 1 800 826 1495. 1 800 826 1495. We're exploring the legacy of Ed Abbey. We've been talking about uh, Abbey's political philosophies. I'll have a couple of my guests read some passages from uh, works by Ed Abbey. And uh, you're welcome to join the conversation with your Ed Abbey memories. What do you think his legacy is? Your questions and comments to 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at uh, gmail.com. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll hear the trailer to the movie. That'll get us uh, talking about some of the themes here. More following the break. Waste not. A small drip leak on a faucet leaks up to 15 gallons per day. That's 450 per month. So make sure to check your faucets regularly. Another tip, turn off the water while brushing your teeth and save 25 gallons a month. Waste not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash publicworks. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Square One Printing. At 630 West, 200 North in Logan, personalized printing for home, school, or business, including banners, business cards, and letterhead. Information at squareoneprinting.com. And Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3 offering lunch items including veggie burgers with a lemon-garlic aioli or lentil salad with a tarragon vinaigrette. We're remembering Ed Abbey, author of The Monkey Wrench Gang and Desert Solitaire and many other works. We're considering his legacy on the program today. I'm Tom Williams. You're listening to Access Utah. If you have an Ed Abbey memory or would like to make a comment, the number is 1-800-826-1495. Or you can join us to upraxis at gmail.com. If you join us on Twitter, use the hashtag AccessUtah. You can also join us on uh, our Utah Public Radio Facebook page, where, by the way, Jill Morgan, Terry Guy, Vivian Baji, and Becky Yeager have liked our post. You can see a picture of Ed Abbey there with some questions you can respond to. Uh, M.L. Lincoln, uh, we're going to hear the uh, the trailer to the movie. This is a collection of many voices. Some of these are contemporaries and friends of Ed Abbey, I believe. That's something I think you were anxious to uh, to, to get into the film. Their um, reaction to what was going on around them, this frustration that we've talked about with inaction on environmental uh, causes, uh, and uh, we'll hear some famous voices as well, um, including that of Robert Redford. I wonder maybe you could uh, talk about how you chose chose those voices. Chose those voices the, as um, immediate friends of Ed Abbey's, all contemporaries, and <clears throat> initially interviewed Ken Slight, and then was interested in interviewing the originals of the Monkey Wrench who helped inspire the Monkey Wrench Gang. And then everyone opened up them, themselves to me. I thought it was an incredible uh, look at the community of activists who, who let me into their homes. And I chose them because of, of their act, activism and friendship with Abby mm. and how important they are today. 
Well, that's for, uh, for people to really understand and, and hear and appreciate. Yes, that, I think that's your goal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's hear this. This is about two and a half minutes. This will give you a taste of the uh, the new film, Wrench, the filmmaker's M.L. Lincoln. I found myself a displaced person shortly after birth, and I've been looking half my life for a place to take my stand. There was just something about Ed Abbey that really spoke to us. I regard the wilderness as my home, and when it's being invaded by clear cutters and strip miners, I feel not only the right, but the duty to defend it by any means I can. Ed and I had found this D3 cat in the construction of that stinking highway down to Colorado, so we turned the damn thing on and sent it off the cliff. A demonstration of civil disobedience played out in Salt Lake this evening. I started reading Edward Abbey when I was 18. I was old enough to understand it, but not quite old enough to realize that it wasn't a manual. Would you do it again? Everything in the biotic community was gone. I saw that I wasn't the one who was nuts. It was the very beginning of an environmental movement, but it belonged to a certain cast of people that the other people saw as threatening. Earth first! People were attracted to Earth first because it really said, let's save the United States. They're not environmentalists, they're terrorists. Defending the natural world, of course, you're going to bring a lot of anger and hostility towards you because there's so much money being made from destroying this planet. These are people out there that had gone through everything that they had been taught to change things in our world if you see an injustice, and it didn't work. What are we willing to do for a livable future? This is a global issue, and it's about greed and materialism, and we are all involved in guilty. Human society is like a stew. If you don't keep it stirred up, you get a lot of scum on top. Agitate. That's the trailer to the new film, Wrenched. The filmmaker's M.L. Lincoln, we have her with us on the program. And uh, that will be showing at the Utah Film Center in Salt Lake City on Thursday. Emma Lincoln, what time? 7.30? Um, no, it's at 7. At the 7. name of the theater, Ken, is... I'm looking it up Wagner. quickly. The Rose Wagner Theater um, Thank in downtown Salt Lake City. Okay, Rose, Rose, Rose Wagner. Rose Wagner Theater, 7 p.m. tomorrow night. Okay, great. And then it'll be showed again uh, during a series of events in Moab, March 14th and 15th, an Abbey retrospective. One of the organizers there is Bob Lippman, retired environmental lawyer, activist, and educator. He's with us. Louise Paulton uh, with the Rare Books at the Marriott Library, University of Utah is with us. And Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books with us. You can join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495 if uh, you would like. And you can uh, join us also to email upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at uh, gmail.com, and on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Here's a comment 
um, from Steve McIntyre on our Facebook page. When I moved west from New York City and Connecticut, now the better part of a decade ago, the first thing I did was read all the Wallace Stegner and Edward Abbey, I don't know him well enough to address him as Ed, that I could lay my hands on. If I'm not mistaken, both of these great writers were, like me, Western transplants. Ken Sanders, what, uh, what do you say to that? was a kid from Appalachia that hitchhiked here after his military service in the 40s and fell in love with the West and uh, never left. Uh, Wallace Stegner came out of uh, Idaho and, or I mean, Iowa, went all over Helen back with his wayward family and father, George Stegner, and ended up growing up and became a man in Salt Lake City, Utah. And although he ultimately left us for California, like Abby left for Arizona, uh, the heart and soul of what they became as writers and what they wrote about in their careers, clearly, I'd say 50% or more of both authors' out, published output is set or inspired by the great state of Utah and its lovely wilderness. So, uh, Ken Sanders, do, do you think uh, those two great writers, do you think their work, their perspective, was influenced by the fact that they, that they were transplants? Yeah, I think it, I think it always gives one a different perspective on what you end up calling your homeland if you come from somewhere else. And I, I might add, uh, Tim De Christopher's, although from West Virginia, not uh, Pennsylvania, is also an Appalachian's kid. Hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a theme there, I suppose. Um, Bob Lippman, I wonder if you could respond to uh, some of the themes we just heard there that are in the movie uh, Wrenched. Um, this, this, this grows out the contemporaries were responding uh, in a frustrated way to inaction as they sought through legal means, through the regular channels uh, in, in our public body, uh, and moved into, um, I don't know if you call it anarchism, you could certainly call it uh, somewhat beyond the pale of, uh, of what would be considered legal or 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 civil, for example, uh, running the bulldozer off the cliff and, uh, you know, spikes and trees, some of the tactics that, that come down even today to, you know, Earth Liberation Front. I wonder if you'd talk to that and, and Ed Abbey's influence. Well, to start, Ed did say as futile as the political process may seem, we should not give up on democracy as we need to keep in practice for the real thing someday. But he always emphasized uh, what to do. The same as always, he would say, oppose the industrialization, urbanization, and militarization of the American West. And if opposition isn't enough, then resist. Hmm. And if resistance isn't enough, and where necessary, and when other means fail, then subvert. Exert political pressure, disseminate propaganda, organize mass protests, and he said, exercise civil disobedience, which he defined as the deliberate breaking of laws for the sake of a higher cause. Mm. And when political protest and civil disobedience fail, take up the monkey wrench, direct resistance. What, and, you know, we, we saw Tim DeChristopher uh, do this in a nonviolent way, in a very creative act of paper monkey wrenching. But it also illustrated how the times have changed for the worse for political dissent in this country. Back in the 60s, the Chicago 7 were not convicted, even though their lawyers went to jail for contempt. And uh, we haven't seen that kind of um, 
organizing and and radicalism uh, since, except for the rise of Earth First after uh, Edward Abbey's uh, books were released, the Monkey Wrench Gang in particular, and now the uh, Occupy movement at this time. Hmm. M.L. Lincoln, you, you have some voices in your film who you know are pushing back. Uh, you, you have at least one of that trailer uh, who, who says, you know, this, this is not political activism, it's eco-terrorism. Uh, and uh, do you agree with uh, Bob Lippman that the, the line has moved in, in recent years? Dissent is less tolerated? Yes, it is. Absolutely so. And, and we point out in the film that, uh, that, that the movement as a whole has been um, sort of pigeonholed as eco-terrorists, where this is not true. So yeah, the the stakes are higher. The the up there's here in southern Utah. It's and it's an amazing battle, and uh, the stakes are higher. And and I think people have. And I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but um, they have fear of speaking out. And I think everyone's become pretty complacent and not able to get beyond that. Ken Sanders, what? You talk to people about legacy of, of Ed Abbey. Ed Abbey was was sort of pushing, wasn't he? And, and I wonder where you think the line is or should be today, in terms of what's Ed acceptable, what's to, not. Uh, in terms Ed, of, go ahead. Ed loved to provoke and confront. Uh, America has a love affair with violence, violence against living things and people. Edward Abbey never advocated violence except against objects, inanimate objects and machinery. Uh, that's something that's seemingly unacceptable to the corporate industrial establishment. Uh, that's what Edward Abbey was talking about with anarchy and all of his books throughout the 21 published books. And that's something, one of the reasons why maybe the, the Hollywood version of the Monkey Wrench Gang has never been ma made because of that embrace of violence against machinery. Uh, and that's only as a last case. You know, a bulldozer is not a sentient being. Being. It's not right or wrong. It's the, the context is everything. And I think, you know, when Ed Abbey was alive 25 years ago now, it seems like yesterday to me. I can still hear his voice in my head. And he, he never needed anybody to speak for him alive, and he certainly doesn't need any of us to speak for him now in a, in a greater sense. You know, you want to know who Edward Abbey was or what he stood for, read the 21 books. Hmm. That's a perfect segue. We have a couple of our guests who have some passages from Ed Abbey's works. I wonder, uh, Louise Bolton, uh, if you would, I believe you have a passage prepared. I wonder if you'd read that for I us. I do, and I'd be happy to read it, and it is a good segue. Um, I think it is uh, Ed, Ed's writing that is um, the thing that probably we should focus on today, and not just his um, political writings, but what he, I think, excelled at and what moved people most and got them involved is his ability to write about the landscape itself. Ed was great at zingers, but he was also great at, um, at describing something that is almost impossible to describe. So here is a passage from Fire on the Mountain, 
a novel by Ed that was published in 1962. Well, the summer rolled on, hot and dry and beautiful, so beautiful it broke your heart to see it knowing you couldn't see it forever. That brilliant light vibrating over the desert, the purple mountains drifting on the horizon, the pink castles of the tamarisk, the wild, lonely sky, the black buzzards soaring over the whirlwinds, the thunderheads that piled up almost every afternoon, trailing a curtain of rain that seldom reached the earth, the stillness of noonday, the sight of the horses rolling in the dust to wash off the sweat and flies, the glamorous sunrises that flooded plain and range with the fantastic, incredible, holy light, the serious cactus that bloomed and closed on one night only, the moonlight slanting through the open door, the sight and sound of cool water trickling from a stream, spring after a long day in the heat. He uses commas to order something that I think is, is difficult for us to order when we're sitting in a scene like that that is um, so ephemeral. We may be sitting still, um, but that that world is moving around us, and there's nothing, um, there's a sense that it's so much larger and that there's nothing we can do to, to stop it, to capture it. And I think that's one of uh, Abby's strengths as a writer and what um, compels people to to um, maybe move beyond that sitting. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That's from Fire on the Mountain. Excuse yeah. Me. Okay. We have a caller. This is Jim from Redding, California. Jim, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Let's see. We're having uh, having a hard time pulling you in, Jim. Yeah. Hi. Y- yes. I, uh, yes. Go ahead. To see Edward uh, Abbey in Salt Lake City a couple of times, and. Um, he was giving a presentation in an auditorium, and there were there were like eight hundred thousand people. And what was interesting was he wasn't. People were asking him what should they do about the environmental movement, and what should we do about protecting old growth trees, for for instance. And he turned the question around back to them, saying, "What are you going to do about protecting old growth trees?" And the the big point that I got out of that message was he wanted people to take action, but he himself didn't want to be the environmental leader. He wanted to be the writer, and he was proud of the fact that he was a writer, and, um, and, he, and he said, he, you know, I'm not, not so much the environmental leader as I am a person that writes books about environmental protection and... and um, trying to uh, get people excited about protecting the environment. So that was, uh, I just thought that was revealing because they, that audience was really looking for an environmental leader. And it, and he didn't, he made it very clear that he didn't want to be that leader. He, he wanted to be the writer that wrote about the West and protecting the West. Uh, Jim, when, when was this? That was in um, 1988, 89. Mm. Yeah. And this was in Salt Lake. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your memory there. Thank you. Sure. 
Uh, you can join uh, your voice with Jim's and with our guests. We're remembering Ed Abbey. We'd uh, like to get your your memory of Ed Abbey or or the influence that his books have had upon you or any other comment. 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, Ken Sanders, I wonder, responding to, to Jim's memory there, does that resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. Jim makes a very good point. Edward Abbey considered himself a writer first and foremost. He wrote openly about, I'm not a naturalist, I don't want to wear those pants. I don't know anything about the subject. And he didn't want to be anybody's guru. He certainly wrote and spoke about that enough in his own right. And anyone that doesn't think that Edward Abbey is a serious writer, I would challenge you to take a sentence or a paragraph or any any portion of any of his published writings and try and edit it. See how far you get. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, We're going to take another uh, brief break, but before we do, um, I want to get some final words from uh, M.L. Lincoln. She's the uh, filmmaker. Wrenched is the the film. Uh, I understand you have to to be leaving here pretty soon. So uh, uh, final words, what what would you like to say? Yes, I'm driving to Salt Lake City. Sorry about that, folks. Um, I think what Jim said is, is right, and Ken Slight says it very well in the movie, which is monkey wrenching has to do what you're what your individual talent is. What what can you do? That is the question, and that is what Terry Tempest Williams poses too. You know, what will we do to protect? What? How far are we going to go? But the point is, what are we going to do as individuals and as a community? So I think that's a pretty good thing to leave it with. Okay, and the film is showing the Rose Wagner Theater 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. It'll also show in Moab uh, during events on March 14th and 15th. Uh, so Emma and Lincoln, I appreciate everyone's attendance today. Bye, folks. Thank you. Thank you, Emma Lincoln. She's heading to, to Salt Lake. Uh, we have with us remaining Louise Poulton with the uh, Rare Books at uh, Marriott Library, University of Utah, Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books in Salt Lake City, and Bob Lippman, retired environmental lawyer, activist, and educator. We're going to be um, looking more at the legacy of Ed Abbey. We'll hear a passage read by Ken Sanders, and we'll consider uh, monkey wrenching today and the status of the environmental movement uh, today, including uh, talking about uh, some of Ed Abbey's beloved country, which is in uh, southern Utah. More following break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Colligan Water of Cache Valley, family-owned and operated for more than 62 years, providing Colligan bottled water, salt delivery, or soft and conditioned water. Hey Colligan Man, service from the man in blue, online at logan.colliganman.com. Next time on Living on Earth, discovering synthetic biology, how very fast computers make it possible to create life using binary code. The DNA code, the ACs, Gs, and Ds, are becoming interchangeable with the digital code of the computer, and we can now go in both directions. It opens up new frontiers in health, food, and space exploration. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're remembering Ed Abbey, author of The Monkey Wrench Gang, Desert Solitaire, and other works. We're considering his legacy. What is Abbey's relevance today? What's the status of the environmental movement today? 
And we've been talking about Abbey's political philosophies and uh, rooted in traditions of anarchism and civil disobedience. Rise of Earth First and other groups out of his writings. Monkey Wrenching Today. Influence on activists like Tim DeChristopher. And his uh, strength as a writer. Uh, Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books has uh, challenged you, if you don't think he's a good writer, to, uh, what did you say, Ken, to re, re, uh, rework any of his paragraphs? Yeah, take a paragraph or any passage out of his published works and try and edit it, take a word out. Yeah. Uh, Bob Lipman, I want to return to you. Um, some of the country that Ed Abbey loved most is, uh, is, is where you are, right? Or, or pretty close there. Tell us about that. Well, as we just heard from Louise uh, in uh, that passage, uh, Ed Abbey's writings about southern Utah uh, facilitated a love affair uh, between millions of people and this land. And um, right now it is, uh, is under siege. And uh, this is Edward Abbey's relevance today on a local level, and on a bigger level. Uh, again, uh, in the words of Barry Lopez 25 years ago here at Moab at the uh, memorial for Ed, he said, Ed will always remind us to speak clearly to assault, mendacity, duplicity, and cowardice. For each of us, in our own humble, uncertain, and uncomplicated ways, to do what we can to bring light and to view a world larger than our own and to throttle the beast. Mm. So, again, we're all leaders, uh, and we all must take personal responsibility as we love the land we need to preserve and protect the land and take responsibility for it. So that brings me to a question of uh, monkey wrenching today. What what do you think Abby would suggest in terms of, you know, to protecting the, the canyon country right there? Well, as I read earlier, Abby said work on all fronts, and people are doing that. But uh, as it's been raised a number of times in this program, uh, especially through Tim DeChristopher's case, people are frustrated that the, the deck is stacked on most of those systemic fronts at this time. And therefore, Abby's ramping up of the uh, level of political activity is more meaningful today in terms of uh, finding uh, creative pathways through direct action and creative use of sound legal concepts that have been all but forgotten and that Tim DeChristopher was not even able to introduce into his trial, such as the doctrine of necessity or the legal doctrines of self-defense and defense of the other. And he was pretty much precluded from bringing these defenses and his motivations to act for a higher cause into the courtroom. And this needs to be challenged uh, directly because uh, all freedom and all dissent uh, requires these um, avenues of civil liberty. Do you think we're going to be seeing more Tim DeChristophers? In a certain sense, uh, it's, it seems like uh, people maybe be, are becoming more passive, uh, maybe discouraged, who knows, um, and, and retiring behind electronic walls and, and the like. Do you think we'll see more Tim DeChristophers? Yes, I think it works both ways, and you're right. We have 
seeing a retirement or a defeatist defeatism to clicktivism these days and a deferral to the professional environmental organizations. But at the same time, we're seeing more Tim de Christophers as people are uh, uh, realizing that they cannot depend on the government or anyone else to uh, solve these problems and that we need to, uh, on one hand, fight against uh, the destruction that is occurring to the uh, fabric of life on this planet, but at the same time to fight for a livable future and to present a pathway for uh, communities and people to live in forbearance and harmony with their watersheds. Ken Sanders, I want to turn back to you. Um, Some people would say what Tim DeChristopher did is inappropriate. He should work within the system. And, of course, there are other actions in the name of the environment which go beyond, beyond civil disobedience. They're, you know, setting fire to, to plants and stuff. Um, what, what, first, on the point of Tim DeCrisper, what do you say to people who say his actions were inappropriate? Oh, boy. Don't get me started. <laughs> uh, Ed, let me quote two quick Ed Abbeys first. Growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. And the wilderness needs no defense, only more defenders. Um, Tom, we got to go back a little bit to look at the Monkey Wrench Gang and its publication in the 70s, the inspiration of the real-life environmental radical group Earth First in the early 80s, and then take it forward to Tim DeChristopher's action, actions more recently in 2007 and uh, the birth of the, the group that he, his actions inspired, Peaceful Uprising, who is still very much with us, and I love their... their uh, logo on their t-shirts, Peaceful Uprising, the Evolution of Revolution. What Tim Christopher did was to illegally bid on almost $2 million on acreage of oil and gas leases in and around uh, uh, Canyonlands, Arches, Dinosaur, Book Cliffs, etc., uh, of 18-some-odd people that had previously made uh, illegal, illegal bids, if you will, on acreage Tim DeChristopher is the only person that was ever punished for doing so. So if Tim DeChristopher, let's assume that he did, in fact, break BLM law, well, what about Representative Mike Knoll in Kane County, Utah, who led an illegal ORV rally of hundreds of vehicles being filmed in front of the BLM officials into a wilderness area illegally? Why was he not uh, selected for any sort of uh, citation or trial or punishment? Why were Garfield County officials who illegally removed Escalante Monument signs and dumped them at the BLM office? Why weren't they selectively targeted or punished? Why Why was Tim DeChristopher, one of the brightest young minds we have in the country today, sent to a federal penitentiary for two years without ever being allowed to explain to a jury of his peers, quote-unquote, why he did what he did. Why were his attorneys muzzled? Why was he muzzled? Why did Judge D. Benson, an Orrin Hatch crony, have the audacity to lecture Tim to Christopher and say, well, what you did wasn't so bad, it's just you won't shut up about it. Why is Tim to Christopher the only person to go to prison and then be released 
to my care, to my custody for the last six months of his prison sentence to be an employee at my bookstore after the Department of Justice decided that the job that the Unitarian Church here in Salt Lake City had created for him was too radical because he was going to be a director of social justice, and they wouldn't allow him to do that job because, well, that's your crime, social justice. We're not going to let you have a job to it. And let me say that as we speak, Tim DeChristopher is on a full scholarship for three years to Harvard University as a graduate student at Divinity School. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that, that an that's, answer? That, yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, I wonder if you would read a passage, uh, an Abbey passage. I think you have one prepared. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, it's from the introduction to the original Desert Solitaire, and it's still in every every edition. Uh, let me quote, uh, he, he in right next to this introduction, Abby quotes uh, the poet Neruda, uh, and he has a little piece that I just love called, Give Me Silence, Water, Hope, Give Me Struggle, Iron, Volcanoes, Pablo Neruda. So finally, a word of caution. Do not jump into your automobile next June and rush out to the canyon country, hoping to see some of that which I've attempted to evoke in these pages. In the first place, you can't see anything from a car. You've got to get out of the goddamn contraption and walk. Better yet, crawl on hands and knees over the sandstone and through the thorn bush and cactus. When traces of blood begin to mark your trail, you'll see something. Maybe. Probably not. In the second place, most of what I write about in this book is already gone or going under fast. This is not a travel guide, but an elegy, a memorial. You're holding a tombstone in your hands, a bloody rock. Don't drop it on your foot. Throw it at something big and glassy. What do you have to lose? Mm -hmm. Edward Abbey. That's from Desert Solitaire? Pardon? Uh, Which book is that from? Uh, the introduction to uh, Desert Solitaire. Desert Solitaire, okay. Uh, Louise Poulton, we're, we're coming down to the end of the program, and I, I wonder, um, maybe just a, in, a, in a minute or two, <laughs> always unfair, uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of the scope of Ab- Ed Abbey's work. I noticed that in this exhibition, uh, you know, there, there's a bunch of stuff before and after Desert Solitaire and Monkey Wrench Game. Sure. Just give us a quick sure. overview. He, he was a writer, as, as the caller pointed out, um, very nicely. Abby was a writer, um, and that's how he liked to think of himself, um, not particularly as an activist. In, in fact, I agree, he shied away from that. Um, so the scope of his work is, is very long. Um, I was thinking that I might read another quote, because I, the question came up, what, what can we do now? Um, as far as um, following through on on Abby's work. Um, Abby addresses future writers, and I think one of the things that someone could do is to pick up the pen um, and uh, start writing again, uh, if they haven't already. This is Abby's suggestion from Slumgullion Stew. I offer my experience to other writers, especially the new, the young, the struggling, as proof that the author need not subserve a mass market or pander to the East Coast literati. There is a middle way, a straight, 
tricky but feasible channel between the rocks on the swift river of Maud Amlet, ignore the critics, and waste no time applying for gifts and grants. When we want money from the rich, we'll take it by force, the honorable way. Hmm. Uh, we just have uh, uh, oh, about two or three minutes left. I, I want to get final thoughts from each of our guests, maybe starting with Bob Lipman. If you think about Ed Abbey today, what, what comes first to your mind? Inspiration, uh, drawn from the land and uh, the beauty. And Ed has said, here's another quote, where there is no joy, there can be no courage. And without courage, all other virtues are useless. Sentiment without action is the ruin of the soul. Despair can be modulated into a comfortable melancholia, and from there to defiance, delight, and a roaring affirmation of self-existence, even at times into a quiet and blessedly self-forgetful peace, a modest joy, a joy that gives life and meaning and urgency to all the rest. Louise Poulton, uh, ask you the same question. You think about Ken, uh, about uh, Ed Abbey today, what, what leaps first to mind? I, I, think, I think there's a, a mystique about Ed um, that grew out of his writing and grew out of um, the people who uh, uh, sort of clung to him um, because of his writing. So the mystique is not a bad thing. Abby didn't want to be a guru, but um, but I think the mystique that has grown out of his writings and his legacy as an activist is um, not a bad thing for us to not forget. And Ken Sanders will give you the last word. What uh, Same question. What, what leaps to your mind when you think about Ed Abbey today? Ed Abbey lives. He lives today. He lives to a whole generation of people that weren't born on this planet when he died. His works are alive, they're in print, and they still resonate with people that discover him for the first time. It doesn't seem possible to me uh, that he's been gone for 25 years. I, I, I can't even, I still can't, I can't wrap my mind around that. I, I can still hear him talking to me, provoking me, con- confronting him. And as I already said, if, if you didn't have the privilege of knowing the man or the writer, you still can. All you got to do is read those 21 books, mm-hmm. the canon, the Edward Abbey canon. You can spell that with one N or two. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, so there is a screening of the new film by M.L. Lincoln. It's called Wrenched. That's at the Rose Wagner Center at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. And then there are some events, several events, including a screening of Wrenched in Moab, March 14th and 15th. Uh, Bob Lipman, briefly, what, what's going on Mar- March 14th and 15th? March 15th at Star Hall, doors open at uh, 6, and uh, that'll be uh, um, a free screening, uh, but a suggested donation to benefit Living Rivers here in Moab. Well, we uh, thank very much Louise Poulton with uh, Special Collections at uh, University of Utah. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Bob Lipman, retired environmental lawyer, activist, and educator. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure. And uh, Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. We thank Emma Lincoln who joined us uh, earlier. And thanks for listening to Access Utah.
The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. Sleep plays a vital role in good health and well-being throughout your life. Getting enough quality sleep at the right times can help protect your mental health, physical health, quality of life, and safety. During sleep, your body is working to support healthy brain function and maintain your physical health. The damage from sleep deficiency can occur in an instant, such as a car crash, or it can harm you over time. For example, ongoing sleep deficiency can raise your risk for some chronic health problems, such as heart disease, kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and stroke. To improve your sleep habits, try to be physically active every day. Go to bed and wake up at the same time every day and avoid caffeine later in the day. So here's to many long, good night sleeps, and as a result, a safer, healthier, and more enjoyable life for you and your loved ones. This is Dana for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll explore the hip and sophisticated music of Spain today. From the Catalonian coast to the Galician mountains, and into the clubs of Madrid and Barcelona. I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join me for Spotlight on Spain, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday nights at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Waste not. Leaking toilets are the number one cause for high water bills. You can place a few drops of food coloring into your tank to check for leaks. If the food coloring appears in the bowl without flushing, you have a small leak. Waste Not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash publicworks. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, KCEU 89.7 Price, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan.